0: Discerninghearts.com, in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, presents Roots of the Faith, From the Church Fathers to You, with Mike Aquilina. Mike Aquilina is the author or editor of more than 40 books on Catholic history, doctrine, and devotion. Among his many books are The Mass of the Early Christians, The Fathers of the Church, The Mass, The Glory, The Mystery, and The Tradition, co authored with Cardinal Donald World, and The Roots of the Faith. The Church Fathers to You, on which this series is based. He has co hosted with Dr. Scott Hahn eight series that air on the Eternal Word television network. He has co led pilgrimages to the Holy Land, Italy, Greece, and Turkey. He's a widely sought after Catholic speaker. Roots of the Faith, from the Church Fathers to You, with Mike Aquilina. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Mike.
1: Hey, Chris, thanks for having me back. I, again, I, I just, I'm always surprised. I make the grade at the end of the last show, and I get to go to the next one, so oh, this is fun.
0: You A-plus. That's your grade. <laughs> this particular topic, I, I love every chapter of your book, The Roots of Faith.
1: Oh, you make my day.
0: <laughs> but I have to tell you, oh, gosh, how does, it's like a selfie's Choice. How do you pick a favorite, but, oh, this one, The Saints in Heaven, this... Mm-hmm. And the subtitle, The Stones Cry Out. How wonderful.
1: <laughs> well, well, you know, it's, it's literally true. I, I tell the story at the beginning about how, how when people were complaining to Jesus about the ruckus that his disciples were made, you know, he responds, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Mm. And, and, you know, with this particular doctrine, uh, the doctrine of the communion of the saints and the intercession of the saints, I try to point out at the beginning that, that the stones do cry out archaeology testifies to this just as eloquently as the documents of the fathers of the church, the early Christians. We just hear those voices ringing down the centuries uh, in the writings of the fathers, but also, you know, in the stones that we dig up from the ground. Chris, you and I a few years back walked the the streets of Rome and we went under those streets. You know, we went down into the catacombs and we saw those stones down there. And we saw what people had had carved into those stones. Sometimes with hammer and chisel, and sometimes with whatever they could use to scrape out a little bit of a little bit of rock. And um, and what they carve into those stones? Paul and Peter pray for Victor. I commend to Saint Basila the innocent Gemellus. Anatolius, intercede for your sister. And on and on and on. We have the testimonies of these ancient Christians as they're invoking the names of the saints and asking the saints for intercession on their behalf in heaven.
0: Hmm. Why would there be at this point a misunderstanding of the church's position in regards to this great love for the saints?
1: Yeah, well, it, you know, it, it comes out of the, t- the time of the, the Reformation and what were perceived as abuses of devotions to the saints or ex- excesses of devotion. But really, it re- it, it's just familial love. We know that we're all part of this large family, and uh, we also know that the dead aren't truly dead. If they die in Christ, they live in Christ, and they're more alive today than we are because their life has been completed in a way in heaven. So we, um, you know, they can intercede for us. And and the New Testament testifies to this in many places. You know, our our Lord quotes the Old Testament scripture, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Uh, You know, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You know, those are the words of Jesus right there. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So Abraham is alive. Isaac is alive. Jacob is alive. And then when we see our Lord transfigured on Mount Tabor, you know, he's flanked by Moses and, and Elijah. And what are they doing? They're talking with him. Mm-hmm. They're talking about his exodus, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they're having this conversation. So we know that all of these great saints who, who died in their bodies, they continued to live in God. When we get to the later books of the New Testament, to the to the book of Revelation, there we see so many of the the white robed martyrs in heaven, you know, the the bones of the the martyrs under the altar in heaven and they're crying out to God for justice on earth. They're interceding for the the future of the inhabitants of the earth. And then there's the, the passage in the epistle to the Hebrews where we, we read that great litany of all of the heroes of the Old Testament, just a long list of names, beautiful names of, of the people who who've gone before. And then, you know, they're invoked as a great cloud of witnesses who surround us even now. You know, they're cheering us on as if as if we're in an arena, and they're uh the, the spectators and they're they're cheering us on. So the the New Testament tells us again and again that the dead are alive in Christ, and that they intercede for us, that they're they're in conversation with Christ, and they're conversing with him on our behalf. So it was just a natural thing for the early Christians to go to the saints, the holy ones, to go to them and, and ask their intercession and to ask their favors.
0: The devotion does go back and is marked in the writings of the fathers of the church.
1: It, it is, it is, and, uh, and it's in the ancient liturgies as well. We find the, the graffiti and the inscriptions that I talked about before, but we also find a lot of references to devotion to the saints in the, the works of the fathers themselves, and, and also um, the artwork mm-hmm. that we find in the catacombs and that sort of thing. There are so many fathers who are um, revered by Christians of all sorts. St. John Chrysostom is one. He's considered the great preacher of all time uh, and uh, and and just a remarkable man. He lived a great life. He was a monk and and a hermit, and then he was a bishop and then he was he was essentially martyred for the faith, martyred by fellow Christians, which is a sad thing. But John Chrysostom throughout his life had a great devotion to the saints who went before him. He looked upon them as heroes, but he also venerated their tombs. And he led processions to their tombs. He celebrated the liturgy over the tombs. This was something that was just part of being a Christian at the time. Uh, We also find in the early church that uh, that there was tremendous devotion to the relics of the saints. The relics of the martyrs and the apostles especially, but of all the saints. And that's how we get this idea of cemeteries being holy ground. Mm -hmm. You know, to the pagans cemeteries were unclean places. You didn't want to be in there because it would render you unfit to attend to devotions in the temples. The Mm -hmm. Jews had a similar view of it. A cemetery was something that rendered you unclean. You didn't want to be around the dead. But what did the Christians do? They not only venerated the cemeteries as holy ground, but they built churches over the tombs of the saints, over the bones of the saints. And they even venerated the bones by kissing them and, and, and that sort of thing, which would have been a horror to pagans and Jews. What's behind all this? Well, when we read the New Testament, we find in the second letter of St. Peter that through baptism, we have become partakers of the divine nature. We have come to share in God's own nature, our flesh has been divinized and elevated to become like the flesh of Jesus Christ. And so it's become something holy by participating in that incarnation, by sharing the life, sharing the very flesh of Jesus Christ in, through baptism and then through the Eucharist. So we take very special care with the bodies of Christians now. And they took very special care with the bodies of Christians in the ancient world. And as I said, they built great churches over the tombs of those they especially venerated. Whenever someone was martyred, his or her family or fellow Christians would go out and collect whatever they could. If a martyr had been torn apart by dogs or torn apart by lions, you would go and you would collect whatever was left. And if all that was left was a pool of blood, you mopped up the blood. And you preserved those relics very carefully, the remains, the mortal remains, because the body was sacred. The body participated in the life of Christ and died in imitation of Christ and was to be venerated. And so we have great, great um, accounts of this. St. Augustine had a great devotion to relics. St. Ambrose had a great devotion to relics. St. Paulinus did. There's a, there are great, great lines from all of these saints. St. Saint Paulinus describes the church that was built over tombs under his direction. And he says, under the lighted altar, a royal slab of purple marble covers the bones of holy men. Here God's grace sets before you the power of the apostles by the great pledges contained in their meager dust. Mm -hmm. So what we see before us belies the true power that's there." in the relics and of course this is based on the the doctrine we find in the Old Testament uh, the bones of the the prophet Elijah uh, bring a dead man to life and a handkerchief that had been touched to the Apostles can heal someone in the New Testament so there it is the doctrine of, the, of relics and the great power contained in those relics by God's grace continues throughout the time of the early Christians and it was something that was looked upon by um, by the pagans and mocked mocked they referred to christians as diggers because they were always digging these graves and filling the world with graves and then venerating these graves the emperor julian who tried to repaganize the empire had contempt for this practice he said meanwhile you keep adding more dead bodies on top of the corpse from long ago by the corpse from long ago he means jesus you have filled up the world with tombs and cemeteries. And, and he's, he's just disgusted by this. And his teacher, Libanius, who managed to outlive him, despairs at the death of Julian, and he says, And here we were, thinking that the grave houses would be replaced by temples, and everyone would be willing to come up to the altars, and that those who before had overturned them would themselves be setting them up. And that those who before had kept away from the blood of the victims would be offering sacrifices to the pagan gods mm-hmm. of their own free will. Well, that didn't happen. And the, the, the tombs of the martyrs were restored. And the cult of the martyrs was restored. Julian didn't get it. Libanius didn't get it. They were so mired in this contempt for the body and for, for life in the body, really. They, they didn't understand what the Christians were doing, but as soon as Julian was dead, the Christians were only too happy to uh, to restore the, the cult of the martyrs and their beautiful churches that they built over them. Uh, even now, you know, when they want to find the bones of St. Peter, what did they do? They went to the, the altar in St. Peter's and they dug straight down. Mm-hmm. When they wanted to find the bones of St. Paul, mm-hmm. they went to the altar in St. Paul's outside the walls and they dug straight down and they found the casket. Mm-hmm. and the bones wrapped in royal purple because they had been reburied in the 4th century during a time when Christianity was legal and Constantine had Paul buried as an emperor because that's what he was.
0: We'll return to Roots of the Faith with Mike Aquilina in just a moment. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a one c 3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts, faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, Please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to support our efforts. We charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on Discerning Hearts, and our outreach is literally to the world. Please tell a friend about Discerning Hearts and either download our free apps, which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores, or visit discerninghearts.com.
2: And I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
0: A teaching of St. Paul from his first letter to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts, but I will show you a still more excellent way If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I hand my body over so that I may boast, But do not have love. I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. If there are prophecies, they will be brought to nothing. If tongues, they will cease. If knowledge, it will be brought to nothing. For we know partially and we prophesize partially. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I used to talk as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. At present, we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. At present, I know partially, then I shall know fully, as I am fully known. So faith, hope, and love remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. We now return to The Roots of the Faith with Mike Aquilina. There's such a preciousness about the stories surrounding those real life people who we do call saints. Mm -hmm. I'm recalling when we were in Rome, Mike, and we visited the the home of the sisters, St. Prudenziana and Prasades. Right. Their witness of collecting those precious, precious remnants of what was left of those martyrs who mm-hmm. sacrificed their lives, those martyrs will never know their names, but we do know the names of Perseides and Prudenziana.
1: That's right. We venerate the proto-martyrs of Rome, the first martyrs of the Church of Rome, every June. Uh, and we have a great account of their martyrdom from uh, the pagan historian Tacitus, Now Tacitus had no use for Christians, but he had greater contempt for the emperor who was killing the Christians, the Emperor Nero, who was who was a pervert. So he he really gave a detailed account of Nero's perverse execution of these Christians and using them for entertainment, lighting them up as torches, you know, for his parties in his gardens. And he left us this beautiful account, really, of the lives of the martyrs and the the deaths of the martyrs, and this account of their heroism and their courage. But you know what, we don't know a single one of their names. All of those martyrs who died during Nero's first purge, we don't know their names. And yet we celebrate them with such a great feast day in the universal church, because their witness is sacred to us.
0: When we study and examine and and absorb all that the church fathers have to give us, that we need to take the totality of their work. They may witness to the Eucharist, Witness to the reconciliation and on the sacramental nature, even Scripture, but they also witness to this particular practice of the Church.
1: They do, uh, you know. Sometimes non-Catholics like to pick and choose among the Fathers. For example, um, everyone's really happy that the Fathers witness to the canon of the New Testament and say that the apocryphal books are out and the mm-hmm. and the canonical books are in, and people will invoke the Fathers' authority on on that particular matter and on other matters as well. But sometimes. Um, they're only too willing to ignore this. The doctrine of the communion of the saints, the intercession of the saints, uh, just kind of wave it away. But it is so pervasive in the works of the fathers and so insistent. I remember looking at one work. It's a dictionary of early Christian belief, reference work that was put out by a, a Protestant scholar some years ago. And if you look up this subject, there's only one entry. It's a condemnation of necromancy. The kind of magical conjuring of the dead. So he's choosing willfully to ignore the testimony of so many of the fathers that I discuss in my book and and have been discussed in many books before my own. So they're there for us to see, but he's choosing to ignore them, even though he wants to invoke the fathers on so many other issues that are important to the faith. It's really hard to ignore. The saddest case of all is the fact that so many people choose to ignore the patristic testimony about um, the Blessed Virgin Mary Mm -hmm. and her special role in salvation history, her special place in the communion of saints, and her special place in the worship and in the devotions of the early Christians. They did not worship Mary as a goddess, they did not give her the kind of devotion they gave to Jesus Christ or to the Holy Spirit, but they did give her kind of a pride of place in the family. She served as a, as a mother, and there's so much beautiful testimony to her, her life and afterlife in the works of the fathers. You know How does that devotion manifest itself? Well, so many of those apocryphal works that aren't part of the New Testament but are manifestations of devotion do witness to a great love for the Blessed Virgin Mary. Some liturgical fragments going back to the 200s show prayers to the Blessed Virgin Mary, you know, the Subtuum Presidium, um, we fly to your patronage, O Holy Mother of God, uh, that that prayer we still pray today. Mm -hmm. Well, that's from the 200s in Egypt, and it probably goes back a lot further than that. If it's it's a, if it's a fragment found with liturgies, well, the liturgy tends to be conservative and extremely traditional. So if it's there in the 200s, it probably stretches back a lot further. That is probably a very ancient prayer going back to the origins of Christianity. We have the first record of an apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary from the 200s as well. She appeared to Saint Gregory the Wonderworker, and it's recorded by Saint Gregory of Nissa, who lived in in his lands, the early Gregory's lands. So, so all of these things testify to um to our our devotion that we still that we still carry on today, that special tender devotion to the Mother of God. And of course, in that case too, the stones cry out. You know, there are so many inscriptions, there's graffiti that records the prayers to the Mother of God. There are. Her image appears on lamps very early on and on medals and on uh, other tokens of of the faith from the various uh, pilgrim sites in the Holy Land and in Egypt.
0: It's always amazing to me when a block is placed in the hearts of those who would say about the saints and about our Blessed Mother as well that somehow by loving them, by offering a devotion to them and honoring them, that we are taking away the love that we have for the Father, that somehow in God's great economy, it, it's div- that love is divided. Yeah. And yet he sh- tells us over and over again, and we can see it, that love doesn't divide, it only multiplies. <laughs>
1: That's right. And it's not idolatry for me to say to you, Chris McGregor, please pray for me, or please pray for my wife, or please pray pray for my children that's not idolatry or that's not that's not giving you a power that 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 uh, is greater than the power Christ has given you it's just what Christians do mm-hmm. and what Christians have always done well you know Chris one day you're going to die and I'm going to die and you know, Whoever goes first, you know, Mm -hmm. the other other one can continue to ask for for the prayers of that person, you know, in hope that that person has gone on to glory. This is the way a family lives. You know, anyone who has died in Christ has not died. Everyone who has ever lived on earth is still alive somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Because the soul is immortal. And if, if these people are before the throne of, of the Almighty, they are interceding for us on earth. And if they are participating in the knowledge of God, you know, if they if they are experiencing the omniscience of God, they know our struggles here on earth. They're asking God's help for us right now.
0: The, that great love that we show them in naming Churches after them, mm-hmm. and uh, a number of other things. Whether it's uh, artwork, a, whether it's artwork displayed as a painting or in statuary, it is a way of honoring them and making them real for us.
1: It's a very human thing, you know. If you, if I drive through the streets in my town, so many of the streets are named after the very, the very early settlers of the town. Mm-hmm. wasn't a Catholic town back then, but, uh, but they still named. Those, stri- those streets after the, the, the early settlers after after they died. Um, that's a way that's a way we honor people. We put up we put up a plaque or a statue in the town square. Um, you know, I have my father's fedora hat up on my shelf above my desk you know that's a kind of relic I keep with me all the time and it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's something that that arouses my affection for him even now it reminds me of him it inspires me to live the kind of life my father lived and uh, and it nudges me to to ask his help now the way I would ask his help when when I could pick up the phone and 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 call him So these are all just very natural things that we do in a family, and the church is a great family. When Jesus established the church, he knew he was establishing a home. He knew he was establishing a, a, a way of life for a family that would go on and on forever, and this was all part of it. This is the, uh, the faith that the apostles handed on in the scriptures and described in the scriptures, as I said earlier, in the epistle to the Hebrews in the book of Revelation. The apostles made it clear for their successors, and their successors picked up on it. That's what we read in the works of the Church Fathers. That's what we, what we see in, in those stones that are inscribed with prayers to the saints.
0: Well, may all of the saints in heaven pray for us.
1: Pray for us. or a nobis.
0: Thank you, Mike. You've been listening to The Roots of the Faith, from the Church Fathers to you, with Mike Aquilina. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will First, pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com. And join us next time for Roots of the Faith, from the Church Fathers to you, with Mike Aquilina.